Again, just to want to mention real quick, VBS was a, a wonderful blessing. And uh, actually, it goes with a little bit of uh, with what I'm preaching on this morning as uh, pastor let me know they'd be gone this weekend and uh, asked me, uh, you know, would I be okay to preach after doing VBS all week? I was like, I, I'll be fine. And uh, uh, a little tired after the week, uh, as many of the volunteers probably are. Uh, but what a blessing it was to serve them. But the, the passage scripture that our, our kids, uh, we walked the kids through uh, in VBS this last week was Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, and, and really emphasizing the armor of God and uh, a wonderful uh, presentation of the armor of God in the curriculum we used from Answers in Genesis. Uh, and uh, I know it was a, a blessing to see uh, our children receive uh, instruction from this passage of Scripture. And, and as I was praying about this morning, uh, I was praying, you know, and the Lord gave me peace about just sharing from God's Word for all of us this passage of Scripture on the armor of God. You know, fighting in wars, fightings and wars have been existent since the fall of man. I, when I drove up to uh, get my family from Wisconsin, spent a couple days in Wisconsin with them a few weeks ago, uh, I had asked uh, Tim Feebig for a good podcast, and so I ended up listening to a podcast about fighting the entire time. Um, about wars, about Alexander the Great. And, you know, fighting and war have, have gone on since the fall. You know, there's been fighting between clans or tribes. It, sometimes it's on that level. Sometimes it's on the level of where it's literally between countries. Some wars have been the oppressed against the tyrannical oppression. Some wars have destroyed entire civilizations. Some have been long, some have been short. Some have been large in the amount of casualties. Some, like the battle over Toledo, had no casualties. We got the better end of that one, in my opinion. The UP is much prettier than Toledo. But you know, all these battles have something in common, and that is that they're physical and they're temporal. For the Christian, we are in a battle that has ramifications much bigger than any physical battle that, we, that has ever gone throughout the history, through history. Because it's, it is the battle for our spiritual lives. The Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of God, takes a portion of the end of this letter in Ephesians to share with all believers that they are in a war. If you're a Christian here this morning, you and I are in a war. We're in a battle. And, it's, and it, it is large in scope, and it's large in, in its importance. See, the impact of winning or losing goes far beyond the here and the now. It is a war, a battle for godliness. It's a battle to magnify God. It's a battle to glorify God. It's a battle against the evil powers of this world. It is a battle that is against sin, the devil, and the devil's legion of followers. It is a battle against our depraved flesh that, though sanctified, we battle each and every day. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. 
For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. We are in a spiritual battle. See, this morning, each of us, every Christian, is in a constant battle for righteousness. A battle for the truth of who God is and what God has done. And it is to be this righteousness, it's a battle to live this righteousness, it's to live the character of God out in our lives, to be lived out and spread out throughout the world. To give us a little bit of context of Ephesians here, uh, Paul has for the last several verses, it's uh, in coming leading up to this, it really is dealing with relationships. Before a pastor left, I, as I was reading and studying this pastor, it's like it's interesting that he goes from talking about relationships between familial relationships between husband, wife, uh, parent, child, even uh, employee, the, the workplace, into talking about needing to put on the armor of God because we're in a spiritual battle. See, those, those relationships that we are to live righteous in and to respond righteously in and to act righteously in, if we don't have the armor of God on, we are not going to prevail in those relationships in a righteous way. In the, the book of Ephesians in chapters 1 through 3, as Paul often does, he sets his, his letters up to where he gives a bunch of doctrine, a bunch of teaching. And from that, he then goes into a bunch of what we may call application. And he, and he takes the, and, 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 and the, the letter to the church in Ephesus, he does this. He, he takes the first three letters and it's, it's full of, of biblical doctrine and teaching. In fact, there's maybe only one imperative in the entire first three chapters of Ephesians. And at the end of chapter 3, he, has, he makes a statement, he says, he's writing here and he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is desiring to his church to accomplish his purposes for his glory forever. And he's coming to the end of this letter and he says, here's how we do that. Here's another way of how we do that. And it is that we put on the whole armor of God. He begins in verse 10. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. It is in this exhortation to be strong in the Lord we find ourselves this morning. Because we as Christians need to stand strong in the very power of God's might. We are under attack as Christians. And I'm not talking about 
just any specific way, but there, there are so many ways that, that Satan and his followers, his, the devils, the demons, and, and seek to influence and tear us down. He does not want to see the church thrive. He does not want to see our church thrive. He does not want to see you thrive spiritually. And so as a Christian, we now have the strength of the Lord behind us. We need to rely on that strength. And so our text this morning dives into the glorious tools that God gives to us so that we can stand firm. We can stand firm in the power of His might. Our main idea this morning is that we must firmly stand with God's armor, praying for each other as we battle for righteousness. We must firmly stand with God's armor, praying for each other as we battle for righteousness. We need to be putting on the full armor of God. If we do not put on the full armor of God, we will fail. In verses 10 through 13, we see that the Christian needs God's strength and armor to stand firm. As I just read the three verses, Paul begins in verse 10 with a command to be strong in the Lord and strengthened in God's might. The language Paul is using here is the idea of really, it's we aren't the ones that, that the might and the power does not come from us. It is an, an, an imperative. It's a command that's saying, like, be strong in the Lord. It's imperative that He is using for us. But it's, it, the action comes from God. Our power, the might that we have to stand firm, comes from God. It's not sourced in ourselves. Have you ever, been, have you ever felt the, really the attack of, of sin and the influence of Satan in your life and you've tried to, to defeat it on your own. And, and, and all it does is bring frustration in your life. You just get frustrated and people wonder why you're so irritable all the time. It's because you're trying to deal with sin on your own when God has given you something. God has given you His strength, His power, His might to conquer sin in your life. You don't have to do it alone. You can't do it alone. The language he uses here is also the same language he uses back in chapter 3, verse 16, where he says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. God does the strengthening. God's the one that gives us the power. Christ supplies all the strength the Christian needs. If we were to take time to trace this concept, this truth through Scripture, we would see that there are multiple times that God calls on His children, on His followers, to be strong and courageous. Joshua chapter 1, as Joshua is being told by God to, to go and, and, and given the plans for the city of, to defeat Jericho, what does God tell him? He says what? Be strong and courageous. And later on in the passage, he says, be strong and very courageous. Why? Why was he telling Joshua that? He's saying, Joshua, it is my power that's going to defeat Jericho, not yours. 
I'm going to do something that is going to magnify myself. I'm going to glorify myself through you and the nation of Israel. It is my power that is going to defeat Jericho. The command for God's children to be strong in battle against the enemy is nothing new. But as a consistent command and desire for God for his children, though we don't see it specifically in the life of Daniel, clearly Daniel understood this truth. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood this truth that the strength to stand against the opposition, the sinful opposition, the wicked opposition, was through the power of God, not of their own. They didn't have the power to keep themselves from being burned in the fiery furnace. They didn't have the power to keep the lion's mouth shut. God did. God does. And the most amazing illustration, really, that Paul gives, it's not even an illustration, it's just a description of the power of God against spiritual opposition. We find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 57. Much of, pretty much the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 discusses the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a moment of God's power that just blow, ought to always blow our mind, not just at Easter time. Verse 54 says, But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory against the spiritual opposition in our lives comes through Jesus Christ. With his strength and might, God has provided protection and a weapon for us to oppose the opposition. God doesn't leave us hanging out to dry. Paul tells us in verse 11 to what? Put on the armor of God. Look at verse 11. Put on the full armor of God. Not just part of it, but put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm. In the first 14 verses, look how many times God talks about, through his word here, through the Apostle Paul, about the concept of strength and standing firm. It's twice in verse 10. It's once in in verse 11. And then you see it at the end of verse 13 and the very beginning of verse 14. He's making a point. We have got to stand firm. We cannot give in to the wickedness around us. We can't give in. We can't. Why? Because God desires us to live righteously. God has called us to live righteously. And He's given us the armor to do it. You know, growing up, I loved the story of King Arthur in the, round, in the Knights of the Round Table. I don't know how many of you did. I in fact, I have to be honest, I still enjoy the story. And... And part of that story, one, there's some, a sword named Excalibur that is a big part of the whole, the whole narrative. And it, 
supposedly has mystical power, magical power that helps Arthur rule and, and, and reign Camelot. Reign over Camelot. As cool as that story is, it's a story. And as cool as it is as a kid to think about this awesome sword. Honestly, when Andy walked in with his long sword this week, I thought of Excalibur. It was the first thing that came to my mind. See, Excalibur is not going to defeat a, a physical sword isn't going to keep the enemy, the spiritual enemy at bay. See, the armor of God isn't mystical. It's not magical. It's supernatural. It's empowered by God. And see, the world is full of wicked schemes implemented by the devil and his followers. And without the armor of God, the Christian cannot stand firm against the evil attacks. You may ask, what then, where do these attacks come from? Well, Paul gives to us a list that we battle against evil and truth. That we battle against evil and, and, and for truth. We battle or struggle against rulers, powers, forces of darkness, forces of spiritual wickedness we see in verse Verse 12. And, and we could take time in this. Scholars have taken the time to try to specifically spell out what each of these are. What you clearly can see in this verse is that there is a hierarchy in the evil kingdom. Or as we learned in VBS, the bad kingdom. And and the point that Paul really is trying for us to understand, though, is not specifically what each of these are, but that we have a, a serious spiritual opposition seeking to attack us on a daily basis. Satan's not omnipresent, but his influence is everywhere, his followers are everywhere. He doesn't want to see the church thrive. And Paul uses the word here in verse, the beginning of verse 12 for our struggle. Some translations use the word wrestle. Paul is saying that this, this, this battle that we are in is personal. It's not a, a battle fought from a distance. But it's a battle that you and I are in. It's really the idea of a hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's literally the idea of, of, of wrestling. It's, it's that up-and-close, personal type of thing going on here. It's not a fight that's done in the shadows. That, the, the, the spiritual wickedness is coming at us, and it is up-close and personal. You know, the wicked rulers and authorities make the struggle personal. You know, when I was, when I was uh, in high school, my, I had a job at a, surprise, a golf course. But my job was a cart boy. And, and I would, when people come in to go golfing, I would offer to carry their clubs and put them on the cart for them. And when they would get done, I'd, I'd offer to wipe down their clubs for the clean their, the club heads for them before they put it in their car. And oftentimes I would offer to put it in their car for them. 
When I wasn't doing that, part of my other job was when the carts then were done, I would take them around to a spot and I'd clean them out. I'd clean all the junk out of the carts. I'd spray it down with a hose and dry it off, the seat off, and I'd dry the rest of the cart off. But I'd dry at least the seat off so someone else could sit on a dry seat. So one day there was a, a, a tournament came in and I had 60 carts basically to clean all at once. So to have fun and keep myself entertained, I decided to have a competition to see which cart had the most cans of beer on it. You say, where are you going with this, Pastor Aaron? <laughs> there was a cart that came in with a lot on it, and there was a couple unopened cold cans of beer. I'm 17 years old. You know what actually for me was not a struggle? Those cans of beer. And that's, the, well, praise the Lord, yes, but that wasn't the point of it. The point is, it wasn't a struggle. That was not an area where the spiritual forces of this world were actually, they didn't go after that. Because they knew it wasn't a desire. It didn't mean anything to me. Now the 21 chocolate chip cookies that were, un, that were still wrapped, I took those home. <laughs> However, in high school, at Kobiak, when I was there, we had a 300-foot-long water slide. Awesome growing up with that. I wanted to go down it, so I decided I was going to go down it. And my sisters went with me, the assistant director's kids went down it with me. Only it wasn't summer. It was January. And it emptied into a pool. And... I went down multiple, no, I didn't go from the top, but I went down halfway, and, and it was safe. There's a big snowbank type thing at the end of the slide, and we just run into the snowbank, and no one would ever get hurt. Dinner that night, my dad told me, was talking to my mom at the dinner table, saying how the assistance kids had come into the camp office talking about how they had gone down the water slide. I did remember when I chose to go down that water slide and lead everyone else into sin, I knew my dad had told me not to ever go down the water slide during the winter. So why do I use this illustration? And yes, I, that was the, I was 16 years old and got my last two spankings. My dad made sure that I knew I was wrong. And my, my brother, who at the time was four, the next day came up to me as I was going outside. This is how... If you have multiple children, they do learn from the older ones. He comes running up to me and then putting my coat on saying, Aaron, Aaron, don't go down the water slide. He was four. But that was a temptation for me. And I chose to sin. See, Satan, you, they use that, that which that appear, uh, appeals to us. See, the evil one works through the events of history. We've seen, we see it in the circumstances surrounding Job's life, the casting of believers into prison, inherent distresses of life. Satan and his followers, the, the evil environment, the evil wickedness uses all these things. It uses illness, which occasionally is due to maybe even demonic activity, Matthew 9, 32. Christian teachers and their instruction are the subject of attack and distortion by the principalities and powers, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Heresy is assigned to their activity, 1 Timothy 4.1. See, so 
See, Satan and the evil, evil powers, they attack the social, political, judicial, and economic structures around us. They use, seek to use those structures for their own evil ends. And when we look around us in a 21st century, we can see how the evil of this world is seeking to, to try to keep people from having a relationship with God, both saved and unsaved. And we see that in the world around us, but the greatest fear I have for us is how are these evil authorities influencing us as a church? How are the evil thinkings, the, the corrupt, wicked philosophies of this world, how are they creeping into our, our church, into your life? We need to put on the armor of God and stand firm so that they don't reach our lives. God desires to see his church boldly proclaim the revealed mystery of the gospel. Paul talks about this in, in Ephesians chapter 3. He desires to see personal relationships handled righteously. And as I was studying for this, I came across a very familiar hymn that I hadn't even thought about until really it popped up on, in my studying my final few things that I was reading through last night. And it came to my mind, the Lord brought it to my mind, and that is, a mighty fortress is our God. The second verse says this, Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. We are to stand firm against all the evil opposition we, faced, we face. We must put on the full armor of God. And we say, what is that armor like? In verses 14 through 17, we see that armor. The Christian must daily put on the armor of God to stand firm. The first piece of armor that we see is the belt of truth. Oh, I don't have it on the PowerPoint. The belt of truth. This is the belt during the, the Romans and, and what would have been understood of the original readers of this passage, uh, this letter. It would have been this idea of the belt was to hold up the tunic so they could run. They would be un unimpeded. It would not impede the soldier while they were fighting. It helped to hold the rest of the armor in place. For us in our spiritual battle, our belt is that of the truth we have in Christ and in God's Word. It's the truth that is sourced in God. And in, in, this, in this verse, you can, the commentators take it both the truth that is sourced in God, the content of truth, that it, the, the truth that is from God, and the aspect of truthfulness. And really, both are true. Ephesians 4.21 says, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. John 17.17 17 says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. We need the truth of Scripture to combat our spiritual foes and stand firm. 
How much do you know about God today? How much about the truth of who God is are you seeking to understand on a daily basis? If we are going to stand firm against the evil opposition in this world, we need to have the truth as a part of our DNA. It's got to be what we are constantly diving into. And we see that the truth of God is revealed in the gospel. We're strengthened by God's truth. Ephesians 4 27 says this and do not give the devil an opportunity we cannot give the devil opportunity we need to stand firm you and I must be fixing our mind and heart on the wonderful truth of God's word the truth of God's word explains to us the great character of of God from which the truth flows Liz and I have been married for 13 years and it has been a blast getting to know more truth about who she is. I haven't stopped trying to learn more about her by God's grace. But more important than that, I ought to never stop wanting to know the truth about who God is. There's more truth about who God is than we have in this time, in this life to understand. We should never stop seeking to know God. We need to be in His Word. How often are you in His Word on a daily basis? Is it daily? We need to be filling ourselves with the wonderful teaching of Scripture. One of the largest ways Satan attacks us today is by beating us with the lie that truth is relative. Folks, truth is not relative, it's absolute. And you say, we, we, if I were to ask for a raise of hands, I would dare say that everyone in this room would agree that truth is absolute. But yet so often, in small ways sometimes, we find ourselves actually living where truth is kind of relative. You may be thinking about this, but if we truly assess our lives, we can see glimpses of where we operate with relativity. We seek to take a biblical principle and apply it in a way that fits our narrative. And when we run into someone who challenges this fact with biblical truth, we potentially get upset and mad. Have you ever thought that church is, being, is, is wrong, going wrong? And I'm not talking about programmatic things like, okay, are we going to have VBS four days or five days? <laughs> have you seen and tried to rationalize your response, your actions as a Christian when they aren't truly biblical? You're in essence acting as truth is relative according to how you want it to play out. So we need truth not only do we need truth, but we need to put on the, the belt of truth, but the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate would cover the entire torso of the soldier. It protected against the blows uh, and, of, of a sword or, or a weapon and, the, and, and the, the flight of an arrow. 
Ephesians 5, 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We need to be putting on righteousness. Are you doing what's right? Are you, are, this is not speaking of the moment of salvation where we are, con, we, are, we are declared righteous by God, but it's living that righteousness, the righteousness that comes from God on a daily basis. Satan desires to attack the Christian in their mind to doubt God's goodness in the face of tragedy. He seeks to dissuade from truthful living to hypocrisy. He attacks our emotions and feelings to get us to irrationally view what is righteous as unrighteous and vice versa. See, the torso is where our heart is. It's where, and in, in the Jewish culture, the heart referred to the seat of the affection, I'm sorry, our mind and, and our, our will. Our, the bowels referred to the seat of our affections. See, righteousness, putting on the breastplate of righteousness protects your mind, your will, your heart, your, your emotions from the attack of our, the evil opposition around us. To fail to put on righteousness is to become unfruitful as Peter describes in 2 Peter chapter 1. May we be righteous and fruitful. May we seek to live daily obedience to God. We also have the shoes of gospel peace. Verse 15, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The language here is, this is the only place that really this, this wording is, is put here in, in Scripture. But, you can see that Paul is borrowing from Isaiah 52.7 where Isaiah writes, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. There's a little bit of a difference and with a couple different commentators. That they're kind of how this is, but I think both are true here. One way of looking at it is that they're the God of peace. We, we are to be ready to constantly be thinking about the peace that we have in God because we are at peace with God in our salvation. Because of salvation in the Christian's life, you are at peace with God, which what? You're no longer an enemy of God. So if, we're, if we are on, in God's army, if we're God's child, that should bring to us confidence to live the Christian life. Confidence to stand firm. And with it, I do believe because of some of the context and some of what Paul is getting at here is also that we should be ready to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. Because the gospel brings peace. So are you living in confidence? We need to be daily meditating on what God has done for us through salvation. It brought peace to mankind. The gospel has brought peace to mankind. Just earlier in the letter here in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul spells out the, the peace that comes in verses 11 through 22, how the, the enmity that was even between the Jew and Gentile is broken down. That dividing wall is broken down and there is one organism. There is one entity. That is the church, the local church, the church of God.
these verses show that the gospel is what brings peace. And then also we have the shield of faith. Paul is most likely alluding to this shield that a soldier could hide his entire body by, behind. About a four, four and a half foot shield. High, high shield. The faith Paul is talking about here is simply the faith that James talks about. It's the faith Paul is talking about of just simply trusting in God. It's not salvation, it's faith for salvation, but it's faith that God is going to continue to do the work of salvation in your life until we are with Him in glory. That He will continue to work out, help us to work out our salvation. Habakkuk 2.4 says what? The just shall live by faith. Trusting God that He is who He says He is and will do what He says He will do, we must put on the shield of faith and carry that. We must take it up, the script the text uses. Also, we must take up the helmet of salvation. Paul uses certain wording here in speaking of the helmet of salvation that could be more literally translated the helmet which is salvation. We are in God's army due to salvation. We know the final outcome. It's a resounding victory by Christ. There's an element of, of future aspect, the, the, our final salvation that Paul is referring to here. What a wonderful truth to know that we're saved. That God has saved us. He's adopted us. And then we're also to take up the sword of the Spirit. Now, of, of the, the aspects of the armor, when I, when I dove into this, I was actually, you know how when you study God's Word sometimes, the Lord just gives you a new understanding of His Word? This was a section where, as I was studying, I was like, when I'm talking about the belt of truth, I'm like, isn't that the sword of the Spirit? Aren't they the same thing? Why would He repeat Himself? As I was studying, I found out that the word that he uses here in verse, which is the word of God at the end of verse 17, the word he uses for word is not logos. It's a different word that he uses here. It's not the same word that John uses in John 1. The word he uses here is, not to get all geeky on you, but it's the word rima. And it simply means the words. Speaking of small phrases, actual words. You know what he's saying here is that it's the literal words of God that we use to both defend and oppose actively on an offensive way the evil opposition around us. And Christ himself illustrated this so perfectly in Matthew chapter 4. He said, every man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This brings us to the idea of meditation, memorization. We don't just memorize God's word on Sunday together so that we can do the same thing the kids are doing. If that was the only reason we were doing it, it would be a really shallow reason to do it. 
Have you ever wondered why we don't, churches don't stress more for adults to be memorizing God's Word? It's like they get to seventh grade and, or maybe high school, and it's like, oh, we don't need to emphasize this anymore. Whether that's because we assume all of us are doing it on our own, that's a really bad assumption. <laughs> we memorize God's Word because it is what helps keep us and the enemy at bay. How much are you memorizing God's word? How much are you meditating on God's word? And I say this respectfully, but there is no age limit on memorization of scripture. And I understand we all have different learning abilities, different memories. As you get older, I understand. You can't remember things as well. I understand all of that. And so does God. I'm not saying you need to rememorize God's word to where you know every the and thee and thou and everything in the verse. In fact, the Bible never says that. Only Awana does. But you know what God's word does say is we need to know God's word. We need to memorize what it's saying. My grandma, when she, she passed away when she was 93 about eight years ago, she had gotten cancer. And I remember her in the hospital. I wasn't there, but my parents were telling me that she was quoting verses at 93 years old. I don't know how long ago she had memorized them, but God was bringing those verses to memory so that she could end her life well. How much is God's word of your life? Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We've looked at the whole armor of God. And quickly as we close this, this morning, 18 through 20, is somewhat of a different, it's not really a full-blown different topic. Our, our, our translations give us a paragraph break. But really what Paul is talking about here is that we need to be praying for one another. Prayer is important. We must bathe our battle in prayer. And because it is in the context of, of what we're looking at with the armor of God and the spiritual battle, it's accurate to say that we need to be praying and, 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 push, and connecting this with the spiritual battles that we're in. Are you praying for one another? Verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. That means in all circumstances, in all situations, in all places, and with this in view, speaking of what he's just talked about, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Are we persevering in prayer for one another spiritually? Are you willing to share with others where you are struggling spiritually? The church is here. God ordained the church so that you and I can go to one another and build one another up spiritually and it's hard to do that when we don't know where each other are spiritually. Are we praying for one another spiritually?
It's easy to pray for all the physical requests. But where it gets personal, where it gets real in many ways and gets even deeper is when we're praying for one another spiritually. Prayer has got to be consistent in our lives. As we think of all of this, are we allowing the armor of God? Are we putting on the full armor of God? And as we think of that question, are we putting this on? Think of the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our, I've read verse 2 before, but already, but did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord, save off his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom forever. We must firmly stand with God's armor on, praying for each other as we battle for righteousness. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray that we as Christians would stand firm in the power of your might. Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning that's never placed their faith and trust in you. They've never been in a position to be able to put the armor of God on, your armor on. But Lord, I pray that you would do a work in their life this morning that they would become at peace with you through your son Jesus Christ's sacrificial death on the cross and resurrection. Lord, I thank you for each Christian here. Lord, I pray that we as as Christians, as a church, would seek to stand firm against the evil opposition around us. There's so many avenues that they try to attack us. I pray that we'd be putting on the full armor of God. That we would be bathing the battle, the spiritual battle that we are all in, in prayer. And that you would use all of that to work through us to bring the light of the gospel to those around us. So Lord, I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.